Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Welcome, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Idea Fit Pro Show. This is Sandy Todd Webster, Ideas Editor in Chief, and your host for the podcast. We are super excited to bring our content and the stellar talent in this industry to you on a regular basis. We want to open your mind and your career to new ideas and inspiration. We'll do this through conversations with other idea members, subject matter experts, and with in-depth discussions about relevant issues in the industry today. Stay tuned for more. You don't want to miss a moment of this great content. Today on the pod, I'll be speaking with Mark Fisher of Mark Fisher Fitness in New York City. We'll be touching base on topics ranging from the importance of creating an unforgettable culture among your members, to doing business during COVID in the nation's largest city, and how the principles of growing your business, even during pandemic times, have not changed. After we speak with Mark, we'll catch up with IDEA Event Programming Director Ryan Halverson and 2007 IDEA Fitness Instructor of the Year, Fred Hoffman. We'll explore the session Fred is planning for IDEA World Virtual on five winning strategies for customer service in the digital age. Stay with us to get a trove of information, resources, and inspiration. Mark Fisher, are you ready? I am so ready. All right, let's do this. It's so great to see you. I'm happy we, f- we finally made it happen. <laughs> yes, yes. It's been a, a year in the making, but we're back on track now. <laughs> it'll, it'll be all the better. We've saved up so, so many interesting things to talk about now. Right. Um, so for those folks out here at, at home who may not know you as well as um, your idea family does, can you give us a, a look at the highlight reel of your career and maybe bring us up to date with some of the projects you're working on today? Yes, I will give you the super highlighted version. I am New York City based and I moved to New York City to pursue a career in the musical theater, which I did with middling success throughout my 20s. Concurrently, I started a career as a personal trainer in part because I needed to make side money and in part because I won wanted to look a certain way for my profession, and two, having a background in dance, was interested in how the body moved and was passionate about finding ways to take care of performers. That interest became my main passion over throughout my 20s until ultimately I got to the place where I decided that was the thing I wanted to pursue. And I, as I always like to say, I accidentally opened up a gym called Mark Fisher Fitness, which is very (laughs) unconventional. We were born out of the Broadway community And because the type of people I wanted to work with were my friends, I was hyper aware from the time we opened that they were not people that the more mainstream fitness industry was necessarily speaking to. So for that reason, rather than calling our members clients, we call them ninjas. A lot of people know us for our our spiritual mascot, which is the unicorn. And we don't even (laughs) call it a gym. It's the Enchanted Ninja Clubhouse of Glory and Dreams is the, the formal and proper name that we usually say the clubhouse because that's many words and that was opened up in 2012 so we're coming up on 10 years we've had the good fortune to do pretty well we were on the inc 500 list of fastest growing companies in america and at current our gym like many gyms in the world is mostly virtual we have the in-person component is doing 
actually okay comparatively for all things considered as New York City was ground zero, as I'm sure our listeners know. And in addition to running MFF, I have another company called Business for Unicorns, which is kind of like MFF's spunky kid sister. And that is the banner <laughs> under which my, my non-sexual life partner, Michael, and I do our coaching, consulting, speaking, and fun things like this conversation. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, on 10 years in business. That's, that's a great milestone. Hopefully you're doing something super fun to celebrate that. Any yeah, plans? I, I mean, I, I feel lucky because it will technically be towards the end of this year. So yes, my hope is <laughs> the world will be in a place that perhaps that special something might even have some in-person gathering, which would be quite a treat. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for all of us. Um, so at, through your role as a member of the Idea Club and Studio Owner Committee, a webinar panel you did with me last spring, um, on leading through crisis and also your idea world virtual panel presentation. I've really followed your your progress through pandemic. Can you take a moment to share what New York City was like during various stages of COVID limitations and the steps uh, you guys took to preserve your business and where you've landed now a year later? Yes. That's a lot. <laughs> yes, it is it has it has been an interesting journey. I think the thing that is worth sharing, so virtually like virtually everywhere else, we were shut down in mid-March. New York City, as a lot of people know, was hit particularly bad. And I actually think that's very relevant when I talk a little bit about how MFF has navigated it, because at the risk of being very morbid, because things were so bad, there was a solid four-week period where New York City, which is always full of hustle and bustle, was completely devoid of foot traffic, was devoid of cars, and there was ambulances mm. nonstop mm. for four My weeks. It was absolutely goodness. apocalyptic. And I'm happy that most of the country didn't have that level of challenges, though unfortunately, you know, there are some other markets that have since had some similar challenges. And I mentioned that because I think New York City has dealt with a real like financial and psychic toll that I believe is maybe a little bit more outsized than a lot of the country. And New York City and New York State also were shut down for, we had a very extended period of shutdown. So we didn't open up again until mid-September. Mm. They finally gave us the Ali Ali Oxen free for in-person. We, at that time, and still to this day, can't do classes. So the only thing we can offer in our model are small group training. And even that in a vastly restricted capacity. And that is the main thing we're able to offer in person. And concurrently, we launched an online class platform overnight because we figured we needed to do something. And we've been very fortunate because that class platform is now on the verge actually of surpassing what the in-person class was, which is remarkable. Amazing. <laughs> it's really thrilling. If anything, it is the one that is, I think, a little daunting about it is I love it so much. And it turns out this in many ways is even a better fit for my lifestyle that I want and how I want to run the company and spend my time. And I am very aware, and I'm sure we'll dig into this more, that we don't know what the future holds. So I, I'm not sure if six months to 12 months, is that going to shrink down to 10% of what it is? Can we keep growing and double it in the next 10 months? Is it going to stay around where it is and simply be a new revenue stream we offer? So all of that remains to be seen, but that's a little bit of the story of Mark Fisher Fitness and New York over the past year. Yeah, so it's it's really clear that virtual is here to stay, and it sounds like you guys have made a real success story out of it. Are is your is your pricing structure the same as it was when it was in person? How, what have you tweaked there? Or what have you changed? 
Well, we made it better because <laughs> one of the opportunities that we have all had, and I'm certainly not the first to speak on this, is the opportunity to pull off some band-aids and things that were maybe not working for you. So like many businesses, one of the things that had not ever quite worked for us is we had built a lot of complexity into the business. And specifically when it comes to our class model, we talk about the membership options. We had three month and 12 month, which I don't think is necessarily bad. We build monthly and there were a bunch of different tiers. So maybe you want to do eight classes per month, maybe it's 12 classes per month, maybe it's 24 classes per month. And when we launched Homebody, it was like, you get classes and they build every 14 days. That's it. And that simplicity, I now see to be an utter game changer. So getting a little bit into the math of it, the Homebody membership is billed every 14 days. It is priced at $99. There is a slightly higher supporter rate you could opt into and a slightly lower rate if you're financially compromised due to COVID. But when you do the math of it, it's $99 every 14 days, which from a consumer psychology perspective doesn't feel completely unreasonable. But when you mm-hmm. look at it as an average revenue per member, you're looking at 212, 215-ish per month. So what we found is we actually have a much simpler business model. We're actually doing a higher revenue per member with this online Zoom platform mm-hmm. in something that is way more scalable, where we can fit in 35 people per Zoom class instead of 15, where we don't have the physical constraints of the location of only having two classrooms. If we want, maybe we'll start doing this. We can do six classes at 7.30 a.m. if that's what all of our clients want to do. So that's a little bit of what the current model is. And that, I think a potential takeaway, depending on your model that i am become really an advocate for is the value of weekly or at least bi-weekly pricing versus monthly pricing. Because there are a number of benefits there that I think are game changers. And it's interesting because in other markets, for instance, uh, I've been lucky to do a fair amount of work in Australia. That's the standard. Most of their billing there is weekly. And the benefit of that is when you are selling it, invariably, the individual, it just feels, it's just a smaller number. It feels like a smaller number in the moment. If you do a price change, it never feels that big because you're talking about it weekly. You're going to have improved cash flow because you're getting money on a more regular basis instead of just getting buried maybe on the first of the month of these other inflection points where people's monthly billing cycles are. And depending on how you price it, most people will tend to think of four weeks as a month. But in fact, you get a 13th month then if you're thinking that way over the year. So that has been a really small but powerful um, pivot in the business that I think is like a really big deal. And we, to in full disclosure right now, one of the complexities that is not working for us is our semi-private is still billed monthly because mm-hmm. there's a lot of change right now for everybody. People are more, people are very flexible with change during the apocalypse is what I've found. And I also don't want to push my luck there. So we are currently right. baking out this new model where what we will continue to build bi-weekly, which is the decision we have made because even though it's not quite as good as weekly, we are very fortunate is that we're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people. So interesting from an administrative perspective, the challenge is if you do weekly, now that's four times you have to chase people down when their credit card get declined or weird things happen. Right. So for our model, we think bi-weekly is the way to go. And depending on the size of your facility, much of my consulting work is for a training gym that's in the 150 to 200 member um, size. 
mm-hmm. those individuals oftentimes weekly is going to be better. And, and certainly there are a number of other things one needs to consider, but that's something I would encourage listeners to consider regardless of your model, the, the powerful advantages of cash flow, consumer psychology of changing your pricing model. Yeah, that's that's genius. <laughs> it sounds like it's really working. Um, what what is the breakdown of live versus um, on demand? And you're I presume that you're you're taping when you do live classes, so you mm-hmm. can present them as on demand. Yes, you know we do have on demand. Frankly, I think we could do a better job of even telling our members it's there because most of them use it when they really need to. And because we use, we offer it through Zoom, through a plugin called FitGrid, which syncs it right into MindBody Online, which is mm. our platform that we do all our classes through. And that has made it very convenient for our members because it's all in the same platform. They don't have to deal with like different apps or different platforms. So if they were a former in-person ninja, they know how to drop into this. The classes are hosted, the on-demand ones, are hosted on a password-protected part of our website, and people use it, but part of how we're able to charge the premium is because you're getting live coaching, you're getting community, you're getting personal connection, and I am very thrilled the way it's going. I. I I'm surprised in some ways, quite honestly, and for most of, again, my coaching clients, I probably wouldn't recommend they go this route where they create a whole separate business. It's working great for us. I feel like we've really created a very powerful, um, high integrity sales and marketing funnel for it that's really growing at a very fast rate. But conventional wisdom, I think for a lot of similar training gyms, is that model is hard to pull off. It's hard to create a very high value Zoom experience. The production value is not as good. And I think if you can figure it out, the advantage that we have seen is I, we've chosen to not play in the 20 to $30 space because that's the Peloton space, the beach body space. I think that can be a great way to go if you're doing one ray broadcast, if you have very high production value, if mm-hmm. you have a, like a, either a core methodology or a few instructors you want to scale, scale, scale. And importantly, if you have access to massive distribution. So if you have a lot of money for marketing, if you're really ready to play with the big dogs, I think that's a great way to go. Whereas if you just you know do back of napkin math, if we get to the place where we have 2,000 people doing our online platform, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like that's not, that's, that is gonna feel very satisfying. And I think from a values perspective and a mission perspective, the one thing that I'm excited to figure out is I don't know at what point are we gonna feel like a bunch of nameless, faceless people. I'm working right now very hard with our team to figure out what sort of retention pieces can we put in? How do we up-level our CRM? Because right now we're around 650 and it feels so intimate. It feels like people know each other and people are seen and it's beautiful. And I look forward to the wonderful opportunity (laughs) of breaking that because I don't know what it's going to be like, frankly, in two to three times. And Maybe we'll do another podcast and I'll tell you all the things I learned and all the mistakes I made, but that would be a satisfying challenge. So you mentioned retention and that was uh, where my mind was going next. I, what, what has your retention rate been like? What, what has been the impact? Are you, are you growing? Are you remaining the same? Where are you? Gosh, I got to tell you, Sandy, I, we've been growing by a net, (laughs) net average 10 members per week since July. Wow. So it has just been 
it's been fantastic. And now churn is a little bit higher than we want. So industry standards, if you're looking at a traditional class boutique studio model, you know, eight to 10% is kind of industry average. For our model, a more semi-private, a slightly higher price point, more personalized model, ideally you're looking to get like five, six, and some go as low as three. And this varies depending on market, it very depends on price point, depends on the actual product. So Homebody right now is, is around eight to nine, but the thing that will be interesting for us to explore is right now there's no agreement of any kind. It's canceled at any time. So I'm very satisfied with that, knowing that people can cancel at any moment. And the next thing that we will do, now that we have discovered that what had turned out to be our escape pod, the two of us got in and flew out to outer space, we've now in real time built and turned into a thriving intergalactic metropolis. So if we're gonna live together in outer space, we now need to create some of the structures that will allow the business to have legs. And we are in real time talking about how we do that, but my sense is we'll figure out probably some sort of 12-week commitment, some sort of one-year commitment with a nice discount of some kind, and then potentially keep a canceled at any time, but offer it a slight premium and just acknowledge with our members and say, we love you all, and Raj is going to need to buy another pant, pair of pants sometimes. You probably might want a haircut. Um, some people might want to buy a home. And it's very difficult to do those things if the entire business could walk away at any given moment. And right. certainly, again, in the boutique space, there is a fair amount of precedent for like a pack-focused model. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's a great way to go. I just personally much prefer, from a business perspective, the receivables base. And then from a fitness behavior change perspective, the opportunity to develop meaningful relationships that allow us to make some substantive change, which is, is difficult to do if somebody's kind of dropping in and dropping out. Super yeah. smart business. And um, I, I love the branding of Homebody. I think that's really fun and, Thank you. and smart. It was, it was um, not mine. One of my great team members thought of it and I was like, that is hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so just to close out this, this conversation on virtual, um, what advice do you have for fit pros who might be trepidatious still to jump into this? They, they're feeling shy or they have, don't want to be in front of a camera. What can you offer to give them confidence to jump in aside from a really awesome business model? Yeah, I think the thing that I would encourage them to consider is the impact you want to make on your clients and how you hope to serve the industry and, and the community that you feel called to serve. Because I think it is entirely appropriate and okay to have personal preferences around the types of things you like to do, but presumably the outcome we're all going for is to help make the world fitter, help people have experiences of being in their body and all the amazing benefits that come from that. And I think when you zoom out to why we're doing this, it allows you to think a little bit more broadly and be willing in some cases to push in your own discomfort and give people the thing that they need. I would say, I will not say that New York was lucky. I obviously don't mean it that way. But one, I will admit, an advantage, I guess, in some ways of New York was because it was so apocalyptic, quite frankly, that our entire market had no choice. Our business had no choice. Our members didn't have a choice. So I will also want to acknowledge, if you're listening to this, there are other markets that seem actually to have a tougher go of it because it wasn't quite that bad. So people kind of want to do in person, but some are skittish about coming in person. And that admitted is a little bit tougher because we had six months where we had nothing we could do but build this intergalactic city together because our, our garden on earth was temporarily closed. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage you to 
you know, lean into your discomfort, acknowledge it's okay if you don't love these things. But the other thing I would share, which we all know to be true, is virtual is not going away. It's definitely some bubble, but it's definitely some boom. It's definitely both. We all know, we don't know the ratio, but it's definitely never going back to where it was. And I think all of your clients are going to need some sort of online resource. And certainly, again, you can consider your skill sets. Maybe that's not Zoom. Maybe it's some sort of more robust online platform that allows for perhaps more frequent, even daily coaching communications. You can make those decisions. But I believe if you're in this industry to serve people, we now have a brand new way to do that. And our clients are going to be demanding it. And you'll have great opportunities to learn and grow if that doesn't feel authentic to you yet. So it's really just get over yourself and focus on service. <laughs> focus yeah, focus I mean, on honestly, delivering what you love to do, is it, which is helping people. That's that's ap- absolutely it. Absolutely it. And I admit, listen, I had, and I'll just say very briefly, I had a lot of the same stuff in the beginning. And also, I am so lucky because I have an incredible team. I wasn't even really involved in the beginning of Homebody. We had one of our team members who overnight was like, I will build this for you. <laughs> and she did. And she did great. And it allowed me... A really great gift was honestly, I needed a few weeks of like, what is it? Like, I was so shell shocked after things went down. I was like, I was not in a great place. I was not able to snap immediately into doing anything other than kind of stopping the bleeding. And happily, after I spent some time with it and I got over my own, it's kind of the same thing. I was like, I don't like this. This isn't what I want. I like in-person stuff. At a certain point, we just didn't have a choice. And I will admit, once I got through that, everything got infinitely better. But I did also had a lot of the same resistance. So I will also say, if you're feeling resistance, you are not alone. I was there too. And I promise as always, as we know with our clients on the other side, on the other side, I think there might be a pot of gold for you. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's rewind to last March at Idea Personal Trainer Institute, um, which is the last time I saw you in, in person. 25 years ago. I know. <laughs> and it was um, literally like three or four days before the U.S. shut down completely. Um, you keynoted at the event, and I, I recall what I loved about your message was the emphasis you placed on building culture among your, among your members. Now, you've yes. already um, sort of um, described the unique culture that you you have at MFF. But, um, you know, I if you could speak a little bit more to that, um, I'm but I'm also really curious about how you have translated such a high touch in person bordering on crazy model to be successful virtually. Yes, it has been very interesting. And again, I think we were lucky in the sense lucky quote in quotes in the sense that the whole world went virtual. So a lot of people that might not have been interested in these virtual ways of building community didn't really have a choice because nothing else was going on and people didn't want to be completely disconnected from the world. So we are doing a lot of the same things we had been doing, but frankly, we're just getting a lot more traction. So for instance, we have had a Facebook group for MFF members for a long time that got some engagement. People were active on there. Whereas the Homebody Facebook group Without exaggeration, I would estimate gets anywhere between 10 to 20, even more posts per day, every single day. And certainly one advantage we had was because there were a lot of existing relationships and existing people that were really a member of our community that admittedly, that's maybe a little bit different than if we were building from scratch, but I felt there were enough people that were willing to be comfortable and engage. I think that 
Some other potential takeaways in addition to having some sort of online hub was we leveraged the same thing. And this is, I'm a broken record. I apologize if you ever heard me speak because every time I'm a broken record with this, I'm like, write thank you cards and have name games. So having a name game, having an icebreaker in the beginning of classes where we ask some question and go around the room and share an answer has been very important, I think, to build those webs and build that community because mm-hmm. then throughout class on the rest periods, people will often be making jokes, referring back to the name game. I'm certain people are direct messaging each other and it builds an opportunity for people to build some connection because the challenge, of course, when you're looking to create community in a fitness offering is people are paying for the workout. So you can only push them so far because they, they want to work out. And if you can slide in some friendshiping, I think that can be really powerful. So I think name games are useful. I think an online hub is useful. And the other thing that we have done a lot of is offering online events. We have slowed this down a little bit, but we had a solid three to four months where there was a daily event every day. There was at least one event that a team member was running on everything from cooking skills to mm. mobility and beer to crafting, to (laughs) dance parties, to time management workshops, to meditation. And that I think particularly in the beginning when people really weren't leaving their house was a very powerful way of getting our community to gel more and more. And then the last thing that I will share that I think is important consideration is how are you onboarding people into the community? I think we still have room for improvement here. I think we're getting better in every way, but we have two people that are very gifted and very talented that are responsible for midwifing our new ninjas into our community. And I think they do a great job of connecting those individuals with other people, with coaches in the community. And that I think is also part of this too. And certainly as I mentioned, as we grow, I'm hyper aware to how can we keep the community robust and rich. So those are hopefully some action steps. Those are some things that we've done because it remains the biggest part of this. Creating a sticky community is key because people will leave gyms, but they won't leave relationships. Are you still doing costumes? Yeah, it's funny. We are doing, we're definitely doing a fair amount of costumes. And just recently, and this has been MFF for 10 years now, every six months, we, we this is MFF problems. So we'll be like, I don't think we're being weird enough lately. We're being just kind of like a good fitness class. We're going to get a little weirder here. So yeah, there's certainly our Snatch in Six Weeks program, which is our six-week makeover program. We've also now brought Totally Online, which has been amazing. And because that is a defined endpoint six-week challenge program, essentially, and people are in classes, and each class chooses a name, an adjective, and a noun, usually most of them are things I can't share in polite company because it's a rather subversive group of weirdos that I love a great deal. And those that those communities within that community, within the community, tend to do a lot of organizing of their own theme days. Mm-hmm. So I think we've actually got an opportunity to do more of that stuff because I think we've fallen off a little bit there, but I think that's another great way of making it more than just a class. And there's something to be said. Sometimes I get it. You just want to work out. You don't always want to dress up like an S&M unicorn pirate. I got it. But I think there's an opportunity to continue to make it engaging and make it interesting. Most ninjas, this is another fun and hilarious thing. Not most, but well, maybe more than half of the ninjas now have, we call it club lighting because in the proper clubhouse, we would 
go to the club. Halfway through the class, we would turn off the big overhead lights and we have the club lighting going. So what's hilarious and moving and incredible now is halfway through the class, we go to the club and everyone turns off their overhead lighting and takes their like hilarious Amazon club lights and puts it by the the computer and we all do together about halfway through the class. Oh, it's so much fun, (laughs) silliness, strangeness. Uh, I like them all a whole lot. Sounds great. Um, So last question, Mark. Um, If if I were to tap you a year from now um, and review your business plan for the next 12 months, where do you think you're going to going to land? And, you know, what are some of the things you're you're planning in your business plan for the next year? And how are you getting your team ready to carry that out? Yes. Gosh. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm the obvious qualification. I have no idea what's going to happen. And this has been interesting too, is I am somebody that's very goal oriented and I pride myself on, I have many, many flaws as a person, but one thing I seem to be able to do pretty well is be very good at saying, here's the five-year vision. Now here's the one-year goals. Here's the three-year goals. Here's what needs to happen this week. Here's what needs to happen today. Here's what we have to do in the next 10 minutes. And that has been a little bit more difficult. So we still have annual goals. And they're a little bit more zoomed out, which is going to, I think, allow us hopefully some flexibility based on what happens with in-person and online. So what I mean by that is our goal is by the end of the year, we want to have 1,000 active ninjas. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you, Sandy. I don't know if that's going to be 1,800 online ninjas and 200 in-person. I don't know if it's going to be 500 or seven, or and I'm doing the math right, 800 online or 200 in-person. I don't know if it's going to be 400 in person and 600 online. Maybe online is going to grow and then dip back down. But the one thing that has worked for us is our, without getting in a rabbit hole about this, our marketing and sales funnel has has surprisingly a lot of simplicity to it because there's an offer for in-person and there's an offer for the online stuff. And they both go through the same funnel where the two salespeople that we have will have conversations with them that are very similarly structured with a slightly different offer in that conversation for them to make a more substantive commitment. So Mm -hmm. we feel very well situated and we've got the ability to scale up capacity on either side based on what people are wanting. So 1,000 ninjas in one year, I feel comfortable about committing to that. And then I'm excited to find out in real time where that actually comes from and how that actually plays out. Fantastic. So to, just to wrap up, do you have any final words of wisdom to share with the wide world of fitness before we sign off? And, and then also, if you could please tell everyone how they can connect with you on your website, social media feeds, et cetera. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'll answer the first one first. To find me, you can check out MFF at markfisherfitness.com. One thing I would encourage you to consider doing is really take advantage of our intro offer and, and it might... It'll hurt the conversion of my salespeople and they'll be sad. But one thing that we've been doing a lot of internally that I recommend highly doing, if you have any interest in the online game, you can train with everywhere now. In the old world, you couldn't do that. You couldn't be a member at these other amazing gyms you hear about in other markets. So Just drop, go to, drop, in, drop in and take, take the yeah, classes and understand what, what people are doing out there. And steal it all. Steal it all. Drop in. <laughs> do the whole intro offer. Steal my, my drip campaign. Steal the conversation. Notice how we follow up with people. Notice how we 
make our offers. Notice how we run classes. Steal it, take it. So that so markfisherfitness.com. The coaching and consulting information could be found on businessforunicorns.com. And as far as social media, I don't do a ton these days. You can find me on at Mark Fisher Human Being on Instagram. Admittedly, I don't post a ton there, but I'm always available to answer with a lot of speed if you want to DM me. And I'm always available at mark at markfisherfitness.com. And the, in, the final closing thought I'd like to give to the fitness industry is I just always want to thank them. I never, whenever, I can never miss an opportunity to thank anyone in this industry doing this challenging thing that we do, which is helping support other people in their self-care. I believe we are so fortunate because the work that we do in this industry and the way we can impact people's lives has an exponential effect, has a ripple effect, not just on that individual, but on everybody in their life that they love and who loves them. And I just want to thank you for hanging in there because I know this weird, this year was so gnarly. I know it was not what we had in mind. I know there's a lot of disruption. It would make perfect sense. There's a lot of tech stuff coming in that can maybe feel scary sometimes, and I feel that way too. So I just really want to thank you for all the work I know you've been doing. I want to invite you to keep going because it's never been more important. And if there's anything I can do to serve you, I hope you'll connect with me after this and, and we can we can talk further. You're a gem, Mark. Thank you so much. We love you. This was a pleasure. What a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. Wow, what a great interview that was. To access Mark Fisher's Idea World virtual session, his article in the January-February issue of Fitness Journal co-authored with Travis Barnes and Trina Gray called 21 Best Practices to Help You Survive the New Normal, you can use the links provided in the show notes. Mark Fisher's contact information and website can also be found in the show notes. All right, we've got more great content up in a moment. Next, I'll be catching up with Ryan Halverson, Ideas Director of Event Programming and Idea Presenter, Author, and 2007 Idea Fitness Instructor of the Year, Fred Hoffman. We'll be talking about Fred's upcoming Idea World Virtual Session on five winning strategies for customer service in the digital age. Stick around, you don't wanna miss these great insights. Okay, we're back. For the next segment, we're speaking with Ryan Halverson, Ideas Director of Event Programming, as well as 2007 Idea Fitness Instructor of the Year, Fred Hoffman. Fred is joining us on a Friday evening from Paris. Welcome, Ryan, and welcome, Fred. It's great to see you guys. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, too. Fred, you're a legend with your Idea family, but for our (laughs) listeners who may not be as familiar with you, Please give us a brief overview of your fitness journey and what this pandemic year has taught you not only about yourself, but about our industry. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you both for having me uh, this evening. And I will talk a little bit about the pandemic uh, situation right after, but this is my Friday evening because I can't go out after 6 p.m. <laughs> but just, I'm happy to be here with you, with you both. And uh, my career has uh, spanned many years. I am American. I've been living in Paris now 31 years. But I went to school in Boston. I was a respiratory therapist. I have a master's in health education and started doing fitness as a hobby way back in Boston and never thought that it would become a career. But I ended up doing it full time. I had some opportunities to come to Europe. And I was here one year when Reebok launched Step Reebok and all the Reebok University programs at that time. 
and my career just kind of took off. So I ended up doing a lot of education and I was a fitness consultant for Reebok France. And over time, I created some of my own programs and just uh, an evolution in the, the industry. Um, a lot of experience working in clubs, went into some management. And in the last 10 years, I'm doing more consulting on different topics with professional development, management, social media. Uh, now I'm really interested in all that is customer service and also virtual reality, artificial intelligence, just kind of a natural evolution of, of my career. So, yeah. And the pandemic has been very interesting. Um, I can't believe it's going on a year already. We locked down here in <clears throat> mid-March and uh, we went into a really strict lockdown and all the gyms closed, but everything closed. And we actually did pretty well in from June until about October, where we had somewhat of a normal life. Uh, restaurants were com weren't completely open. Uh, gyms did, did reopen. Um, and then unfortunately, like you're saying worldwide, we went back into a lockdown. Then we came out of it, but with a curfew. And now, unfortunately, I think we're going to be going back into a lockdown. So my life is a lot in front of the computer. Um, I'm doing my own workouts, uh, both in my apartment and I, we have a, a bike share here in Paris. I've been taking the bike out every day to get my cardio, discovering right. the city as well. And, um, yeah, it's been a challenge, but you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So, yeah, well, thanks for joining us. We're glad you're, you're safe and healthy. You probably no, miss no. this guy as an intrepid traveler for those of you don't, who don't know him, but he's been to pretty much every country in the entire universe and um yeah you know, your the flight attendants must miss you <laughs> well what's strange about that is that you know i did do a lot of traveling for those of you who don't know me i was very lucky to do a lot of work internationally and i have not been on a plane since last february mm. which to me is crazy is crazy but uh it's what it is so i'm hoping i will get back on a plane sometime soon in 2021 See. Yes, we, we yeah. all do. So, Ryan, I, I'd love to hear the genesis of Fred's topic for Idea World. Maybe start with the, the title and then, um, you know, kind of set the stage for the uh, approach we're taking to it and how this evolved. Well, yeah, so I can't take any credit for this. This is actually Fred's submission. He sent this idea over to us. Um, and, of course, I think it's obviously very relevant, very important topic considering where we're at. Uh the title is customer service in the digital age five winning strategies and you know this is something that has been important for quite some time but now based on where we're at in the world it's sort of been thrust upon us because customer service has obviously changed quite a lot due to our inability to interact with one another in person we're doing this all the time now and so um I feel it's an important topic for our attendees, our Idea World virtual attendees to understand because now this is what we have to do. It's not a should do or want to do, it's a have to do. And so Fred is going to uh, share all his wonderful insights on how to make customer service um, unparalleled in the digital space. And so I'm curious, Fred, you know, this is a topic that obviously you're passionate about. You mentioned that you're really into customer service. How, you know, what kind of changes have you seen since the pandemic hit and our worlds were all turned upside down? Well, I think it's been a very big learning curve for a lot of people because so many companies and individuals had to almost overnight go really full digital. 
And even though people were obviously, you know, they have their websites and they maybe were doing webinars and podcasts and, of course, on social media, all of a sudden everything shifted. And a lot of people one, weren't prepared and uh, what they needed to do. So in terms of customer service, one, they maybe weren't as prepared if they had, you know, thought about it beforehand, um, things that, that they needed to, to actually think about it and put into place. And um, the, the other thing is that, you know, a lot of people, instructors, personal trainers, started to do their own businesses online. And they weren't prepared at all. And so they didn't realize some of what was necessary in customer services or even just basic communication and taking care of any problems. So it's, like I said, it's been a, a big learning curve. There was one other thing I was going to say, um, I forgot earlier in the beginning when people were, you know, immediately having to shift and go on, there was a security issue as well, which a lot of people forgot about because all of a sudden everybody's on Zoom you know, all these hackers were starting to come into play. People were charging for their services, maybe who'd never used PayPal and different, you know, Venmo, whatever it be. So that was another thing to take care of. So just very quickly, because uh, I know we don't have a lot of time this evening. Um, basically, I think, like I said, for clubs, for personal trainers, for a group of ex-instructors, whoever, it was a big learning curve. And they needed to beef up their customer service through all of their digital channels. Right. And absolutely. It's, you know, there's, there's a big difference between having a customer service, you know, experience when you're facing and in, in, in the same room with somebody. And it seemed that a lot of professionals took what they knew from that space and tried to put that online. But as you know, it's probably not the best method we had to upgrade in a sense, change the mm -hmm. way that we offer service. So can you explain a little bit about, that the difference between customer service in person, you know, face to face versus in the digital world. Sure. Well, communication anyway changes depending on the medium. And so a lot of people didn't know really how to communicate properly. And one thing that I think we've all experienced and maybe have been a little guilty of doing is communicating on several different channels. Um, you might be talking in a WhatsApp group with some people. You might be responding on Facebook Messenger. You might be sending emails. You might be sending text messages. And all of a sudden, you're kind of lost yourself. And then also your customers don't really know where to go. Or you're trying to remember, okay, where did I communicate with this person? And you're going through all your your different you know social media platforms. Or, wait, I think they sent me a WhatsApp message. So that was one thing. And, and I would recommend people to look at where they're communicating with their clients or customers or potential clients and make it clear where they would like to communicate. You know, if, if everyone's in a WhatsApp group, then let's just use that and don't send me a Skype message at three o'clock in the morning or whatever it be. So that was, um, you know, something that I, you know, have seen. And the other thing is we went from the in-person to now, obviously, through screens. So sometimes the communication can get lost in, in that sense as well because you don't have that real person-to-person, -person, even sometimes maybe touching someone or a closeness that you, you know, that you had. The other thing is now you have all these hybrid uh, models where people are both maybe coming into the club, but then they're also doing some of their group exercise classes online. It could be the same club or a club was open and they had to close. So you've got to be ready to shift 
And the other thing that I think is a really big issue in this time is people are worried. People have a lot of anxiety. People are going through different things, deaths, illness, whatever. And, and, and wherever you're situated is very different as well. Um, so, cause I'm in an urban setting. So what I experience every day may be very different than someone who lives in a rural area and doesn't have a lot of contact with people. Whereas when I go out on the street, you know, we have to, we have a mask mandate here. So the, the situation is just different. So there's a lot of different things and that's why you should come to my session. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but also, no, but in all seriousness, there, there are a lot of issues that changed because of the pandemic. Let's say all these things existed already, but then were exacerbated with, um, with the COVID pandemic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, you mentioned that people were forced to get into this space at this point if they wanted to keep their businesses alive. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of like, you know, we're just going to wait and see and ride it out and it's probably going to just blow over. And I think this was back in March and then, you know, October hit and everybody's quickly yeah. learning. Yeah, we actually have to get into this space. Do you think, you know, that this is going to impact us for the long run? Like this is going to be our, I, I'm kind of over the phrase new normal, but, you know, that's the best phrase that comes to mind at this point. Do you think this is something that's going to maintain and those who are holding out, should they just let go and give in to the digital space? Yeah. Well, first of all, digital is not just the future. It's now it's already been, it's just going to continue to evolve. But yes, unfortunately, I don't want to say unfortunately, because I think there's always a lot of good that comes out of situations like this. It puts you in an uncomfortable position. We're all there, um, including myself. But then you learn from it and hopefully you evolve and, and, and grow. But I do think people have to realize that this is a long term. You know, we're living through this historic pandemic that in 50 years, people are going to say in 2020 and 2021, you know, we just happen to be living through it. So who knows how many years and hopefully with the vaccines and all that. But I still think there's going to be a big impact for the next few years where people need to embrace the, the digital you know, channels and they need to learn how to communicate properly. And also if they're doing their businesses through all digital, not, not brick and mortar, that they need to, you know, beef up their, their skills because, you know, we all experienced in the beginning when everyone went online and they, you know, you would, sometimes I'd be like scrolling through my, my Facebook feed and I'd see these things and be like, what's that? It's like, oh, they're giving a class like in their bathroom somewhere, you know. Well, that was okay in the beginning because everyone was trying to get things up online. But now, a year later, there's so, so many offerings that people need to also realize your customers have expectations that are better than a kind of crappy Zoom connection. And uh, you, know, you know what I mean? So we're all learning. We're all going through this. It's not a criticism. It's just that as that's happening, we need to also move it forward. So. I, I would I would even argue that, you know, customer service is at the apex of providing a great experience for your people. And that's kind of the business we're in is providing experiences. And so, uh, you know, the closer we can get to it's, you know, I, I don't think this kind of digital virtual world is ever going to be perfect just because tech no. is, is what it is. But, you know, the, the more we can zone in on, uh, you know, making a Zoom class more of an experience um, and, and encouraging those those folks who come on with their screens off to, you know, 
do a meet and greet or, or whatever you can think of to, to bring people sure. out of their shyness and to get them involved so you are making connections between people and between you and, and your, your class. Yeah, so providing an, an experience, do you have any further ideas or thoughts about that, Fred? Yeah, well, I think, I think part of that also comes with experience when you're doing those classes as the, as the provider where all of a sudden you realize that someone's having difficulty, they can't hear you, they can't see you, or uh, you know maybe you film the sessions and then you look after afterwards and you see that whatever exercise you were uh, explaining or showing, they could only see your feet or you can only see. We've <laughs> <laughs> all experienced that, or yeah. you know, with a lot of the, the platforms where it's actually not a mirror image so things aren't showing up you know they're saying your right side and everyone's going left or they're going left whatever it be so that that again is that learning curve but i I agree with you sandy that the customer service part of this is really now besides what your services are that they're quality but that really holds you know a lot of weight and i think it's it's not just true of our business it's it's all businesses now because people have expectations and something that I always say about technology in general, when you're talking about customers or clients and members, is that you're, sometimes your members and your clients and your customers evolve quicker than you do. Mm-hmm. And they have certain expectations when they come on a platform. <laughs> and if you're not providing it, they're going to go, wait a minute, this is kind of you know, old school and I need to, you know, I'm used to doing this where I can just pay online and you know, reserve my spot and all this other stuff. So that's another thing to be conscious about is what are your competitors doing? What is everyone else doing? And one other thing I just want to mention about that is because of this whole thing, all of the companies like the Zooms, I'm using them as the example because that's what everyone is talking about right now, they're all developing new tools as well. So I think as we evolve in the next couple of years, you're going to see, see it be easier for people to do the online experience um, than it is right now. And, and, you know, those companies are learning themselves in how to uh, improve their, their services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And I think it's something yeah. that, that I've picked up on is that people who have invested in digital and gone online, it's actually enhanced their skill set. So at some point mm-hmm. when we are able to go back into the gyms, teach classes there, you know, work with our clients one-on-one, they're going to be better off because they did take the time to upgrade their skill set. Like we said, it's a little bit easier to interact and get body language cues and all of that when you're in person. And so going online actually forced us to enhance our ability to communicate, streamline the way we say things and deliver better service, which will only positively benefit them should we have the opportunity to go back and be together. Sure. I mean, one thing, uh, a little note about that is if you're doing, let's say, a group exercise class where normally you would move around the room and maybe correct people, I mean, you just don't have that ability. So now it's got to all be a skill that's done more with you watching, giving those verbal cues, knowing who's in your group, if you can. I mean, it depends if they're really large classes or not, but it it really does change it. And one word that I always use, and, and, you know, it's like, disruption. I don't, I don't like to use the buzzwords, but one is personalization. When people feel like, okay, even if there's a lot of people on, that they're getting some kind of personal attention and they're recognized. Of course, if it's a huge, huge group, that's not always possible. But when you have a group and you can you know, see 10 or 12 people and you know their name, those little things are really important to people that there's recognition 
unless they don't want to be called out. But um, you know, just even welcoming 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 them to class or saying thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, know, Fred, that reminds me of an interesting point. Um, You know, we we have our our work cut out with for uh, for us with the Pelotons, the mirrors and Apple Fitness, these these really slick platforms that have come out um, that are delivering really great experiences. You know, they've got the studio lighting and the great music and all this other really cool stuff. I think we as an industry can stand to learn from what mm. these platforms are doing, but the one thing they they cannot do is deliver a class from you. You know, mm. your your following knows you. They mm. come to you because they love you, they trust you. Right. You can give them the personalized shout-outs and such whereas, you know, your your uh, your mirror or your Peloton instructor really can't do that. So Right. right. And, and, you know, on that note, Sandy, we still are facing this issue where we're just not getting to enough people for fitness. And I know with the pandemic, there's been this whole push about, you know, people need to be healthy because they know they're, they have less risk of getting sick and going to the hospital and all that, which is good. It's a good message. But just saying that, it's like when you tell someone to quit smoking when they know they should quit smoking, you know, telling someone to exercise, you still have to be able to motivate them. And I agree with you that when you're able to do this face-to-face, even if it's virtually, like you said, it's your personality. There's different things that are going to motivate people. It's, again, getting the communication out that you're there and you're available for them. But I, I, I do think that, you know, the Pelotons, the, the Fitness Plus, you know, with Apple, all they're, they're great, but there's still so many people we can get to. And mm-hmm. the other thing is some of them are very affordable. Some aren't as affordable. That's another thing we need to think about because, you know, people are also in a tough situation financially right now. So we've got to look at our model. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think are going to change our industry. But I do think um, on a positive note about what's happening is that people still, when we can, will come back to brick and mortar clubs. I mean, people do like that. People like the interaction. I know myself, my gym, I, I really like going to it, you know, both for my strength workout and my cardio. I miss it. I'm able to get my workout in, but I'll go back when we can open. You know, it's not like, oh, okay, I found other solutions. So, you know, I think we need to be be relatively hopeful and positive about that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think also also noted noting that there are people that are going to be like you that really want and are aching to go back to the gym. And there are those who maybe were gym fanatics to begin with and were are really excited to stay home and they found that they can have greater accessibility through that. And so probably important to move, you know, look to the future with both of those things in mind that, you know, in order to make it accessible to everybody, brick and mortar in person, as well as staying in the virtual space for those who aren't comfortable going to the gym. Yeah. And I mean, I experienced that when I took I have a colleague here uh, in Paris, American who uh, kept offering me free Pilates classes, Erin Moore. I'll give her a shout out. And um, she's like, I got a spot in my class today. You want to come? But a couple times I saw where people turned off their camera. And I, I understood that and I respected it because they didn't want to be seen. They didn't want, you know, and, and that's something also that we forget about. Some people have difficulty coming into a club because maybe they're not comfortable with their body or they're seeing everybody mm-hmm. in shape. You know, that whole thing, that's a whole other issue. So there is definitely a place for the virtual. But again, even in that sense, the customer service is going to come into play because 
you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. Like, turn on your camera. We want to see you. You know, maybe they don't want to. Maybe they right. didn't. You know, they're in their pajamas. I mean, whatever. You know, well, and, and if you somehow got got them to join the room and and their their screen is black, they're choosing not to be seen for whatever right. reason. As long right. as they're there, that's mm-hmm. kind of a win for yeah, for, for new exercises. Absolutely. And then when they get comfortable, then maybe they will turn the camera on. I mean, we've right. all been there. Yeah. When I've, I've been on a Zoom call, I'm like, oh, I'm not turning my camera on. <laughs> 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 for, for other things, not for fitness necessarily, but just think, oh, no, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And who for- knows, maybe those people, when they get to feel comfortable moving their bodies and getting to know you as, you know, as an instructor or trainer, maybe they might be more inclined since they've gotten a taste of it Absolutely. and feel more comfortable moving they might move to the physical space. So, you know, there's all sorts of yeah, possibilities. No. I, I, I think, Sandy, we kind of have to wrap this up, right? Yeah? We, we do, so, yeah. So I was hoping, Fred, if you have any one final thought or a, a gem to leave us with, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Well, I have a lot, but I'll tell you just one thing. I was thinking, <laughs> like, okay, when we're going to end this conversation, what would I tell you? No, one thing is in the customer service aspect of this, is people shouldn't assume that everybody knows how to use their devices. <laughs> um, and how many times, and that's the big joke of 2020, like, you're muted. You know, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I think that's on us as well to teach people how to use these platforms. Don't just make the assumption that people know how to get on Zoom or where they're going. How many times have you seen people come on, oh, oh I couldn't get on, I didn't know where the link was, I didn't know it didn't work for me. Those are those things I think coming going forward that we're going to all have to really clean clean up a little bit, but also not forget that not everybody is as proficient in using the their devices and the platforms that are you know that they're using to deliver their their classes and personal training sessions. I love it. Good point. Fred and Ryan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, Fred, go have that glass of wine. Enjoy it. (laughs) Have a a lovely, a lovely evening. In the evening, I have to tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing everybody uh, at the virtual event uh, in the summer and hopefully in person sometime soon. And we're about five hours away from happy hour ourselves here on Friday. So um, it, it will it will come soon. Yay, Friday. All right, guys. Great to see you. Thanks so much. Um, take, take care. And we'll see you at Ideal World, Fred. Okay. Thank you. Take, you too. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you're looking for more idea content or want to learn more about membership or events, visit our website at ideafit.com. We also host the Listen and Learn CEC podcast, the fitness industry's first and only audible CEC program. Each episode contains information from our award-winning fitness journal that has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 certification agencies. You can subscribe to both the Idea Fit Pro Show and Idea Listen and Learn CEC podcast in the Apple Podcast Store and on other podcast platforms. Check the show notes for these details and for other resources mentioned in today's episode. This is Sandy Webster signing off. Until next time, stay positive and keep inspiring the world with your special magic. Don't ever forget that you make a huge difference in the lives of others and that idea is here to support you in this critical purpose. 
Thanks for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place.